Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We counsel clients about pet trusts and provide pet trustee services. Today, I am honored to introduce to you our special guest. Her name is Susan Briggs, and she is a certified professional animal care operator. She is an author, she is a speaker, and she is a pet care business expert. Welcome to the show, Susan. Hi, Peggy. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here today. Well, I love that you're on today, and I can't wait to talk to you about all of the interesting things that we're going to delve into, but um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as we get started? Yes, well, my um, background was, oh gosh, 20 years ago, I opened a pet care facility in Houston, Texas, where we offer dog daycare, lodging, dog training, pet grooming, and boarding um, services um, to the community, and I absolutely loved it. And that was back in the days when doggy daycare was one of the newer services, and so there wasn't a lot of staff training content available in the industry to train our team members how to read canine body language and manage playgroups safely. So. In 2007, Robin Bennett and I published a book um, for the industry on reading canine body language, and um, that kind of started my transition to working with other businesses on initially it was how to add dog daycare to their um, service stream and, and train their staff and do it safely. And then it's transitioned now to where we really do help businesses um, launch if they want to get into the industry, um, grow their business, or increase profits, all while focusing first on care quality for the pets. I'm, I can't think of anything better. I think that sounds like the dream job to me. I really do have to say I enjoy it. I feel very blessed to get to do it because um, it's just wonderful to help small business owners um, improve their business so they enjoy it more and that they're long-term available to the pets in their marketplace to take great care of them because we do find our members and followers you know align with us on care quality comes first and we want them to be out there in the marketplace to take care of pets when their families can't. Well, and that's so important because as I get ready to prepare for my upcoming vacation, um, thinking about who's going to take care of my pets is first and foremost mm -hmm. um, on my mind. And finding people you can trust is really a challenge. It is. It is. And I totally understand that. And that is um, one of the reasons we're so passionate about what we do. And we like to help match great care 
providers with um, pet parents and their pets. And, you know, one thing that's kind of new in the industry is the Professional Animal Care Certification Council. That's the credential um, that you mentioned when you introduced me. Yep. And that is one easy way for pet parents to find someone that has independently been tested that they have the knowledge and care required to take care of pets. And there's three levels of exams. There's provider, manager, and operator. And so at PACCert.org, you can find a list of certified um, provider, manager, or operators. Okay, so that's a great resource. Thank you for sharing that with us because um, I, I think that, you know, typically we just think, oh, well, I'll just ask the kid next door, um, mm. you know, if they can take care of my cats, my dogs, whatever the case might mm -hmm. be. And that may or may not be in your pet's best interest. Yeah, it really does depend on your pet and your neighbor. Um, you know, a lot of times, and I would say the majority of the time, things go well. Where having a professional helps is when there's a problem because they are trained to recognize that quickly and get help for the pet. And that's the main thing because I know I've done some pet sitting for friends in the past, especially for horses. And um, mm -hmm. you, you really have to be sensitive to um, the activities of the animal because if they're even a little bit off and you're not paying attention to those cues, um, an animal can go from bad to worse quickly. Yes, absolutely. And our animals, you know, often try to hide that. And especially around people that they don't know and aren't familiar with. Um, and so that can happen. And that's where, you know, we're very passionate about um, pet care is a professional field. There is a lot of knowledge that's required in, you know, not only pet health, but pet behavior. And your um, true professionals provide that not only for themselves, but for their staff and team members. And we just see so many pets um, that we get to noticing things that other people may not because it may be the first time they've ever seen it. But when you have a center that's seeing anywhere from 50 to 100 pets a day, the odds of us seeing about anything that can go wrong go up just through the numbers. Absolutely. Um, so that brings up an interesting question to me. So let's say that I'm a brand new pet owner or I've just relocated to a new area and I'm looking for a, uh, a boarding and or daycare facility where mm -hmm. I could take my dog. What should I be looking for? Well, the first thing I'd be looking for is someone who um, you know, has a professional website and is welcomes you in to um, tour and see what's going on and will answer your questions. And some of the questions you need to be asking are, you know, how they care for the pets, what kind of, like, especially with dogs, if they're in daycare and there's an inappropriate behavior, what do they do to intervene and correct that? Um, how are they training their staff members? And while pet first aid is great, and I agree everyone should have pet first aid, it should go beyond that. Um, they should really have studied any pet species that they're taking care of, the basics of um, behavior and their environment and um, health and well-being. And so asking how they 
train their pets and what their own background is. What training do they have? Do they belong to any professional associations or organizations for continuing education? And then, you know, observe the dogs and that are there or the pets that are there. Do they seem happy? Um, that's what our goal is with all of our followers is providing the environment where pets are happy. Well, and happy pets mean happy pet parents, right? Exactly, yes. Um, you know, I'm an anomaly because I run a doggy daycare center practically at my house because I have six <laughs> dogs. Um, mm -hmm. So whenever, you know, I've said to my husband in the past, hey, you want to take the dogs to a dog park? And he just like laughs at me. He goes, what do you mean mm -hmm. take them to a dog park? They live at a dog park. Mm -hmm. um, and it is kind of true. So um, with six dogs, you do see a lot of different kinds of behaviors, but multiply that by 50 or 100 dogs that might be coming in and out of a boarding facility or a doggy daycare. Um, they really would get to see I would think just about everything under the sun. Yeah, and especially if you're taking your dog to a daycare, there should be a formal evaluation process that they do with your dog before he joins the play group. And that's not just to ensure that a dog's not aggressive, which we don't want, you know, aggressive dogs in our play groups, but it's also so that they can match the dog up to the play group where he's going to be most comfortable and actually enjoy it. And so there's more to the evaluation than just, you know, screening out dogs so that don't play well with others. Um, we're real excited about a lot of our members are now offering um, an enrichment-based daycare where part of the day they're doing, you know, play with other dogs. But then also part of the day is a little more structured, almost like a Montessori school to where there's activities that that focus on their mental um, engagement and actually some one-on-one -on -one activities with a counselor, you know, maybe doing some obedience um, tricks or um, there's actual fitness equipment to do some core work. Um, so there's a lot of options now where we're working not just on the social being with other dogs or being physically active. We want, you know, a full care for their mental and um, emotional well-being too. So if you can find a place that's offering enrichment activities, you know, that's another kind of enhanced option that's becoming very popular in the industry now. That's very cool that you mentioned that because I know of at least one place here in the Orlando area where they have, you know, swim time or they have a pool and then they have mm -hmm. a whole kind of like a ropes course, if you will, for dogs, um, yeah. you know where they're out on a couple of acres and they get to run around and do all these different events, um, which I think yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, and we found the dogs really do love it, that they're engaged at a different level than just hanging out in play groups with each other all day. I mean, and they still get some of that, but it's, it is exciting um, to see the creativity of um, activities that we're coming up with for our canine friends to um, – keep them entertained and engaged so it's really at the point when you plan your vacation you can send your dog on a vacation that they're going to have a great time and be active I know one of the girls in my office took her dog to this one place where she said that Addie had so much fun she didn't want to come home ah. because a it's lot a more problem to have <laughs> yeah a lot more stimulation there than there is you know mm -hmm. being at home all day um 
So I do want to talk about being at home all day because during um, this interesting last few months um, since March of 2020, um, many people have started working from home either Mm -hmm. uh, by choice or by chance. And um, as a result, some people have decided that this is a good time to get a dog. Um, And as people are starting to go back to work, what are you finding is happening? We are finding that the dogs are having a hard time understanding what's going on because, you know, they've been with their family all day. They've been home and interacting with them. And a lot of them are having, you know, a little anxiety um, being away. So we really do recommend finding a great professional care provider, um, whether it's a daycare or pet sitter or dog walker, and start using them, even if you're just going back to the office part-time, to help prepare the pet and, and that they'll have somewhere to go and they won't have as much anxiety when you go back full-time. I've even had my own dog. I was told last week when he went to camp that he was a little needy and asked if I was leaving him alone any um, and, you know, I know better, but, you know, you just, it wasn't a big focus of mine. So I'm getting back in line and, and helping him be comfortable being alone. That's an important life skill that, you know, our pets do need to be able to um, be calm and not have anxiety when they're left alone for, you know, short periods of time. I like how you refer to that as an important life skill for a dog. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't think we always think about that. I mean, we think about the times that we're with our dog, but we don't really necessarily maybe plan for the times when our dog's going to be without us. And um, fortunately, um, my dogs have each other. um, So Mm -hmm. they're not completely alone. They're never completely alone. Um, But they may be alone in their crate. And we have a new puppy that she's having to learn to deal with being in her crate alone, Mm -hmm. not playing. Um, but you know, she still sees all the other dogs and, you know, has that visual. Um, yeah, I think being able to go into a crate and relax and, you know, feel safe is another important life skill that we often don't focus on. And, um, I live in Houston and I, I tell you in hurricane Harvey, that was one of the tragedies that just broke my heart was, you know, unfortunately, when they were people that were having to evacuate and get into boats and their dogs weren't in a crate, I mean, there were some horrible accidents that happened. And I just felt like, you know, it's kind of a life skill we've gotten away from because, you know, dogs are part of the family, but it's still an important one in an emergency. And I, I'm like you. I think it's always good to have crates where dogs can get alone and chill if they need to, and especially puppies. Um, yeah, I can see what you're saying too about that hurricane where if you had to evacuate in an emergency and your dog was not used to being in a crate environment and you tried to maybe, as you suggested, um, just carry your dog or put your dog Mm -hmm. in a boat that maybe they've never been exposed to that, the noise, the water, the anxiety of the owner, um, all of the things being, um, you know, kind of bombarding their, their sensory overload, Um, that could, I can see where that would be not a good situation. Yeah. Yeah. It was very tragic. And I think it's just not something we talk about. You know, we went through that period where, you know, crates were, you know, viewed as, 
you know, not good as jail, but I really believe that they're a safety tool and it's a life skill that every pet should be comfortable being in. You just never know what's going to happen down the road with your pet that, you know, they may have a surgery to where they have to have limited um, mobility. And if they can see it as a good place, it's just going to be a tool you have to work with. I notice now um, my puppy that I mentioned earlier, she has a, a crate that she's in during the day when we're gone, but then she has a different crate that's in our bedroom um, where she sleeps at night. And mm-hmm. um, she will often put herself to bed in her crate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're looking around and you're like, where'd Blue go? <laughs> and she's she's gone and put herself to bed and she's perfectly happy to be in there. Yeah, um, I have that for mine, and it is amazing how many times they do choose to go in there. I mean, the doors are rarely shut, but um, when you need to, it's a happy place. Well, and all my dogs are fed in crates because you Mm -hmm. can't feed six dogs together in a room um, and not have them separated, or you would have war on your hands. Um, Yeah. And, and I noticed, you know, I have a big uh, husky Labrador and, uh, you know, he doesn't even like anybody looking at him when he's eating his dinner. Mm-hmm. So being in a crate is a very good thing for him um, because he's very kind of protective of his food. He's not aggressive mm-hmm. to people, but he would be aggressive to another dog if they mm-hmm. uh, tried to take his dinner. Yeah, and I think, you know, all of our dogs deserve to be able to have eat in peace and not feel like, you know, anyone's going to disturb them when they're eating, Um, you know, be able to get away and be happy for a nap or, you know, bedtime. Um, And yeah, it, it is amazing if you have them around and they can get in them, how often they are used by choice. Yep. I, I, that always um, tickles me when I see that, but I, I like seeing that. Um, So I'm hoping that we're not going to see people that got dogs while they were on this stay-at-home work mm-hmm. order that then we're finding a large influx of dogs being given up um, mm-hmm. to shelters. Are you hearing anything like that at this point? Haven't heard it at this point. Um, we do have heard that, you know, training services are very busy, which is good, which, in you know, we're hoping as a couple of things, either it's, you know, new pets to the family that are getting training, or we have kind of joked that, you know, maybe when they're home with their pets all the time, they, they have found some annoying behaviors that they're going to work on, um, some manners. Um, so right now we're still seeing that, you know, there's a lot of training going on, which I think is a good thing. It, it just helps both the um, dog and um, family members understand each other better to build that stronger relationship. And that can definitely um, grow through training together. Well, and isn't it something that we commonly say in the dog training world that uh, it's usually not the dog, it's the owner that needs to be trained? Right. Exactly. (laughs) As I got reminded last week. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, somebody was telling me their dog had them so manipulated into something. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, it was at lunch today. One of uh, our team members was talking about how her dad's dog has him so manipulated that he has to keep the dog on a leash in the house or the dog just barks at him nonstop. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
And I thought, oh, that's hysterical. Um, mm-hmm. the, the thing that I've noticed is um, we have dogs at our office. And um, since we've been um, in this new environment, this new work environment, we've installed um, doorbells on our mm-hmm. office front and back door. Um, mm-hmm. And so this was really the first time that the dogs were ever exposed to a doorbell in a work environment. And um, it's it's a training process for us because now we're having to train them not to race to the door, barking their fool heads off um, mm-hmm. every time somebody rings the doorbell. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And um, we really recommend and, and like our friends at Blue Nine that have the climb, that can be a great tool to help. It's a little platform that can really help train with doorbells. Um, so they go to their platform and wait when the doorbell rings. It's a, it's a, and they have some good training videos on how to do that on their um, Facebook and YouTube page. Wow. Okay. I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to have to uh, look that up. That's Blue Nine, The Climb. Blue Nine and The Climb. It's K-L-I-M-B. Okay. And it is a um, another wonderful tool to have in your um, arsenal to work with your dog along with the crate. It's a little platform that once the dogs um, are kind of trained to it, it's another safe place that they tend to just go to. Very interesting. I wonder if that will work for dachshunds. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will because it's great with uh, – they have different leg heights that you can put on so you can keep it down low for the Dotsons so they aren't, you know, hurting their backs at all, jumping on or off of it. But I have faith every dog can do it. Oh, make I'm it sure. Fun. Yes. Make it fun. And my dogs, as much as they sometimes like to pretend that they don't know how to ring the bell to go outside, they do absolutely mm-hmm. know because they will do it from time to time when they really want me to pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they definitely are smarter, and I think they are very good at training us. Absolutely. So I see your picture on the doggurus.com site, and you are with two dogs in that picture. Can you tell me who those are? Yeah, that would be Archie. He's um, 12. He's a golden mix that, um, that came to my family. He was born in a rescue litter of 12, so... He had a big family starting out, and then um, JJ is um, going to be three in July, and he's a, a rescue that's my first little dog, and I've just loved having him. He's a Chihuahua toy poodle um, Shih Tzu type mix, and um, it's been great learning more about having a little dog in the family. Um, he looks a lot like. Yeah, he looks a lot like one of my dogs that, uh, her name is Darla, but we call her Darla Dinkle, Queen of Tinkle. So <laughs> we say that her breed is actually that she's a Dinkle. Uh-huh. Um, but they look very similar with the way their face is shaped and their eyes. Mm-hmm. And your um, your big guy, Archie, he looks like he could be part uh, uh Bernie's mountain dog even. Yeah, that's what we really thought when we adopted him, that dad had to be Burmese Mountain. But that's not what the, you know, the DNA test said, but I don't know. Um, they said he was, um, had definitely golden 
they had said German Shepherd and Bloodhound and Labrador, but no Burmese Mountain, which is what I thought too. So yeah, I, I definitely see that Shepherd in his face too, though, and mm -hmm. maybe even tiny bit of the Bloodhound in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and he has some of that um, freckling on his legs you can't see sometimes a little bit. So now the mixes are always interesting, I think, to see what breeds come out physically as well as behaviorally. Um, yes, definitely. Um, so you are starting to publish a lot of online resources for your, um, for your constituents. And mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that you are teaching um, your trainees or your pet care businesses to do in this new environment? Yeah, we've been working a lot with them. We started out, you know, definitely bringing in experts on cleaning and sanitation, disinfecting, and we, you know, talked to them a lot how to best um, ensure the health and safety of not only the pets, but the staff and the clients that visit. So we've done a lot of sharing on cleaning protocols and, you know, contactless drop-off and pick-up um, that's, you know, going to keep everybody safe. And then we've, you know, also talked to them a lot about um, how to provide, you know, services safely because they, most of these are small businesses that um, with the boarding numbers way down that are a lot of them are struggling. And so we've been trying to help them think of new revenue streams that they could offer that would help the pet families in their market. And also just reach out and, you know, invite them back in, even if it's for short visits. That would help your small business a lot because if you've got a great care provider, you want them to stay in business. And they definitely need the business right now, um, especially if they were depending a lot on lodging. Those numbers are off close to 70% in most um, businesses. Um, so we've just been trying to help them survive through this so that they're there on the other side for the pets um, in their their communities. Well, I can see where their boarding numbers would be affected dramatically. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, learning new skills and offering new services and, I don't know, I'm thinking like yappy hours and play dates yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and some of them, you know, may even be willing to rent space out, you know, as it's getting warmer um, and, you know, you don't want to be exercising a lot outside. If you have an indoor, we're, you know, trying to get creative, you know, that helps serve the community and keeps everybody safe, but also keeps, you, you know, your um, small businesses um, viable in your communities, which I think is also important. Yes, so, shop yeah. local, right? Absolutely. Um, so check out if you haven't checked in with your pet care provider to see what new fun things they may be offering that you guys, uh, the family, could take advantage of and, and have some fun. Yeah, I think that um, there might actually be a lot of really fun things out there. Um, so that some are doing like summer camps to where, you know, they have different themes. So, you know, just almost like a doggy day out, you know, let let your pet go back and play with his buddies um, if they were used to that. Um, and even if you're still at home, it would, I think your pet would enjoy it and your pet care provider would appreciate seeing them. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that you had a really good suggestion earlier, which is just to maybe um, as we go back to work or as we try to just uh, transition away from our dogs a little bit, just having a, a pet care provider come in, take them for a walk, spend some time with them, um, leave them alone for short periods of time while we, you know, we retransition um, and get mm. them thinking about a different way of life again, too. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed that you talk about is the um, dog to staff ratio in some of your um, literature. Um, mm -hmm. Is there an ideal number, Susan? Yeah, we say really it should be 10 is kind of the best number, we think. One staff person for every 10 dog that's in, 10 dogs in a play group. Now, you know, that can vary and be even lower if you have highly active, um, big what we call kind of body slamming play style dogs, or you have someone who's pretty new to managing play groups, you may want to start with fewer than that. But yeah, 10 to 15 would be the most. So another thing to kind of ask if you're checking out a daycare is what is the ratio they use um, to staff the groups? Um, yeah, because that's not something that I ever thought of, but um, certainly we would think about it if we were sending a child off to kindergarten, for example. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, how many teachers are we going to have in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, do you want to share with us a little bit about um, your free ebook, Off Leash Dog Play, A Complete Guide to Safety and Fun? Is that for um, just business owners or would pet owners find that interesting, too? We've gotten feedback from a lot of pet owners that they really do find it interesting. So if, you know, you are curious about what different behaviors of your dog may be telling you, um, you can learn a lot from the book, the section on canine body um, language. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find that on our website and um, learn more about what canine body language is telling you and even how to observe play if you do take your dog to the dog park or if they go to daycare I think it would help you understand what is appropriate and versus inappropriate play behaviors can you give us some examples of inappropriate play behaviors yeah we um, we have seen that they sometimes you know dogs will wrestle and if a dog pins another dog down where they're not letting them up that's considered inappropriate. Um, if there, a dog may be um, continuing to follow and almost like muzzle punch another dog, um, that's considered inappropriate. Um, if another dog gives them the signal that they don't like a behavior, they should stop. Um, sometimes that can happen with humping. Um, humping isn't always bad, but if the other dog is telling them to stop, then we would say that would be inappropriate. So, yes, I guess that's true, although some dogs don't seem to mind if other dogs do that to them, right? Right, right. And we kind of, you know, say you look at the body language of the dog that we would say is in kind of the victim posture, whether it's the dog being chased or the dog who's on the bottom of uh, wrestling or the dog being humped, and what is their body language telling you? Do Are, you know... Are they okay with it or not? Yeah, I can see, you know, are they struggling or are they enjoying it? I'm thinking of my three little dogs that um, they tend to 
double up on one of the other dogs and mm-hmm. um and they'll get her down and then the littlest one will hump her and then the other one will kind of be like growling around her neck and but she she seems to love it um yeah you know she doesn't act like she's in distress or she acts like you know they're just playing a game of tickle or whatever mhm but it is kind of funny to watch them play in that way i remember um somebody once saying um, and I don't, I don't remember what the context was, but is there something inappropriate about dogs, like not chasing each other because we have a dog that loves to be chased, mm-hmm. but, um, dogs running side by side, growling at each other. You know, I, I would really be wanting to observe what else is going on and also listening to the pitch of the growl. Cause there is a growl that is more of a play growl than a warning growl that that's where I would really um, be looking at the body language of both dogs that are doing that. Um, It's not something I've seen much of. So I think it is a behavior to definitely watch closely and potentially to intervene and then see what happens. Cause if you can break up play even momentarily, then see, do both dogs go back, doing the same thing or does one of them kind of go oh thank goodness thank you for getting me out of that i was getting a little nervous and not sure where it was headed so it uh breaking play up and distracting it is sometimes a good gauge to see whether both dogs still think it's a fun game okay yeah i see where that would make sense so if they come back together kind of okay we were just playing and now you're interrupting our game um Mm -hmm. Versus one of them saying, Zoom, I'm headed to, you know, a place of safety um, Mm -hmm. now that you've gotten me away from this bully. Yeah, because sometimes dogs, things start out as play and both are thinking it's play, but then it escalates. And then one dog gets to go, oh, I'm nervous now. This is getting out of control. I don't know how to stop it, Um, which is another reason why we train um, staff members, you know, to really observe and intervene often i think that's a a good motto intervene often right yeah right you want Um, to intervene too early and not too late right absolutely so i think about the my different packs that i've had over the years and you know how some packs you could throw a ball endlessly and everybody got along just fine versus Mm -hmm. the pack i have now where you can't throw a ball at all because it'll be a fight um Mm -hmm. Because whoever gets it is not going to give it up, and then it is going to be a fight. Um, But it was perfect when I had a Corgi, a Labrador, and a Shepherd mix, because they would all three go after it, but the big dogs would always let the Corgi get it, and then (laughs) she would bring it back, and then the game could start all over again. The big dogs didn't care whether they got the ball. They just were in for the, the chase. The chase, yeah. That's great. Um, those were fun, fun times and uh, makes me actually miss having a uh, corgi. So mm-hmm. if anybody's listening that needs to rehome a corgi, call me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, our dogs, I mean, they mean so much to us and, and they're so I much know. fun. And there's so much to learn from them and with them and about them. 
Um, and I just, I thank you and um, your team at the Dog Gurus so much for um, helping create a better world for dogs so that we have um, truly educated professionals that are just doing what's in our dog's best interest. Well, thank you. It's definitely our pleasure. And um, like you say, I do feel blessed to have this role. I think you definitely are. So um, if we've gotten anybody excited about the prospect of maybe starting or owning a dog-related business and um, they need your help, um, what would you tell people about maybe getting into this industry today? Still a good idea? Yeah, I would definitely do my homework um, as far as my market and be observant of what services are picking back up and in demand. Um, and I think this has been a lesson to a lot of pet care service providers that you don't want to depend on any one service too much. And so having um, multi-services um, can be important. But learn about it. Um, and we have a program called Launch Formula that we invite anybody that's um, looking to get into this industry um, to join us. We like to say we're going to share the mistakes we made so other people don't have to repeat them and just provide education on both the pet care side, um, best practices for high care quality, as well as good business practices so that you have a um, successful and viable pet business that you really enjoy. It It's hard because it there is a lot of demands, especially if you do boarding, it can be 24-7, but that's why you need a great team that's trained well so that, you know, you don't have to be there all the time. Oh, yeah, it'd be impossible to be there 24-7 indefinitely. So, um, yeah, lots of good information today. I can't thank you enough, Susan. Well, it's been a pleasure. It was easy. I just felt like we were chatting about pets and dogs, which is what I love to do. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So that's what I love to do, too, is talk about dogs. And today we were talking with Susan Briggs. She's a certified professional animal care operator. She's an author, a speaker, and she is a pet care business expert. And she and her partners run the Dog Gurus at thedoggurus.com. And if you're a pet lover or you're a person who's interested in getting into the pet care business, I would highly recommend that you check them out. Um, lots of great resources. And anything you want to leave us with, Susan? No, just um, enjoy your time with your dogs and visit your professional care providers. Thank you so much. And uh, you're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. And uh, we're here each and every week with somebody new and different and interesting. And you can find us on Facebook at All My Children Wear Fur Coats. And you can find us on Twitter at Kids in Fur Coats. And if you want information about estate planning for your pets, um, check us out at the law offices of Hoyt and Brian at HoytBrian.com or AnimalCareTrustUSA.org. And until there are none, please adopt one. Until next time, happy tales. Or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation 
pet professionals, and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tails!